wanted to note one further thing this morning, and that is we have with us uh, Allison Bradburn, wife of our former associate pastor and Hurt and Allison's mom and the kids. Lucas is back in the organ, I guess, uh, preaching the word, uh, but glad to have you, uh, Allison and the family. Well, when I was preaching regularly, my sermons were normally preached in consecutive series, relieving me of the necessity of asking, uh, well, what shall I preach on this Sunday? But now, when the opportunity, opportunity to speak comes in frequently, that question is always there. Now, some guidance is given when the Sunday is a special day, as it is today, Father's Day, so I want to place some emphasis in the um, message today on fathers. But of course, I don't want to address dads exclusively and send all the non-fathers home because there's nothing in the sermon for them. So, <laughs> so an idea occurred to me. I asked the Lord what I should preach. <laughs> and, uh, and he led me to a passage that contains excellent advice to fathers, but not only to fathers, but to all of us. That passage is Psalm 15, to which we'll turn in a moment, but first, uh, just a little story. It happened in a uh, Christian college uh, uh, classroom. The uh, professor uh, came and he set, uh, he had some stuff in front of him, and uh, when the class began, wordlessly, he picked up a large, empty, wide-mouthed jar, and uh, he proceeded to fill that uh, jar with rocks, an inch or two in diameter, and filled it all up. And he said to the class, now, is the, is the jar full? And they said, yes. Well, then he picked up a box of pebbles, and he poured the pebbles in there and kind of shook the jar, and, uh, of course, the jar... Pebbles fell into the open areas between the rocks, and when he couldn't have put any more pebbles in, he says, is thou the jar full? And the students laughed and said, okay, it's full. Well, next came a box of sand. And uh, that was poured into the jar, taking up all the remaining empty spaces, and of course the students agree now the jar was as full as it could be. Then the professor ceremoniously took a couple of cups of coffee and he poured it over the whole collection. <laughs> Now, the professor said, holding up the jar, I want you to recognize that this is your life. The rocks are the important things. Your faith, your family, your spouse, your, children's, your children, your health. Anything that is so important to you that if it were lost, you would be devastated. The pebbles are the other things that matter, like your job, your house, your hobbies, your car, stuff like that. And then, finally, there's the sand. That's everything else, the small stuff. If you put sand in the jar first, there's no room for the rocks. And, or even the pebbles. The same goes for your life. If you spend all your energy and your time on the small stuff, you will never have room for the things that are important to you. Pay attention to the things that are critical to your happiness. Dads, today, Father's Day, play with your kids. Pay attention to the things that are important. Uh, take time to get medical checkups. 
take your wife on a date now and then. For all of us, there will always be time for the small stuff. Tend the garden, clean the house, play some ping pong, fix the disposal, and on and on it goes. Take care of the rocks first. The rest is all sand. And when the professor paused, one of the students said, Sir, what about the coffee? Oh, yes, he says, I'm glad you asked. Never be too busy to have time for a cup of coffee with a friend. <laughs> well, this is a uh, picture of a complete, well-balanced life. And by the way, dads, we are in the unique position of setting those priorities in place in the lives of our family members. I'm suggesting to you today that Psalm 15 gives us insight into what a complete life looks like in the sight of God. So uh, let's read it together. It'll be on the screen. And here we are, Psalm 15. And this is from the New American Standard Bible. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks, see it starts with a question, moves on to an answer in verse 2, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Then it goes on. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. That leads to the big idea of my message today is this. Any who desire to have God as a daily companion will find guidance here, right here in Psalm 15. But up front, let's notice that this is not a passage on how to enter into a right relationship with God. For us to be saved, that is to know our sins are forgiven, that we are children of God who have the assurance of eternal life in God's presence, that requires that we have put our trust in Jesus who died for our sins and rose again to declare victory over sin and the grave. This is salvation by faith and not by worship. And if any of you think that by obeying the, the outline here or the instructions of Psalm 15 that that's going to bring you into right relationship with God, no, the Word of God says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. But for the, those of us who have entered into that relationship by faith, here are some instructions. This is some guidance for us. But you say, in this matter of being saved by faith, you, you say, well, what about the Old Testament Israelite? Now, Jesus had not died for sin yet. Wasn't he saved by keeping the law? And the answer is absolutely not. He also, the Old Testament saint, was saved by faith. And his adherence to the law was an expression of obedience to the God in whom he had come to trust. His essential blood sacrifices were a foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice that was one, to, one day to be made by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 
So I repeat, this psalm urges believers to live as God's daily companion, and it starts with a question. The question in, in verse 1, uh, it talks about uh, abiding in God's tent. It talks about uh, dwelling on his holy hill. I think uh, to the person of this day, in David's day, and this was prior to the building of the temple, and there was the tabernacle, and this, uh, this tent of God, this holy hill, uh, calls to mind Jerusalem and the, and the tabernacle. And, and so it says, who can abide, or as some translations say, sojourn uh, in, in God's tent, at, on God's holy hill? Well, it's, there's almost a kind of a little contradiction, it seems here, because, because sojourning or, or abiding has to do with movement. It has to do with all of life as we go here and there. Uh, the tent, the holy hill, it kind of speaks of one place. But God is omniscient. And I, excuse me, you know, uh, Bible instruction class, I made the wrong statement. God is omnipresent is the word I wanted to use. He is present everywhere. And so abiding with him, and it calls to mind the, uh, you know, Psalm 15, or, um, John 15, uh, he is the vine, we are the branches. We abide in him. We are connected with him in every place that we go and not this one specific locality. So, do you agree that daily companionship with God would be a good thing? Uh, verse 1 kind of sets that forth. Verse 2 assumes the answer is yes, and the people in verse 2 are spoken of in this way. They are those who walk with integrity. That's what a person is. They are those who work righteousness. That's what a person does. A person, he speaks truth in his heart. That's what a person says. And these areas need to be in place in our lives if we are going to experience this daily companionship with the Lord in our lives. He walks with integrity. I like the word integrity. Um, he, uh, uh, it's, it's related to a mathematical term. You know, an integer is a, is a whole number. No decimal point, no fraction or anything. It's, it's, it's wholeness. And integrity has to do with wholeness. Integrity with, has to be with uh, living and, and speaking the same. No hypocrisy. I was in a conversation uh, recently, and on Friday mornings I go down to Maple Ridge and, uh, in Freeland, and we have a Bible study there. And, and sometimes there's just three of us there, sometimes there's more of it. I like it when there's just three of us. Because something happens then that hardly ever happens anymore in my life. I'm the youngest man in the room. Rick is 93, and Webb is 100 years old, and we meet together for Bible study. And uh, uh, recently, Rick made the comment, he, his dad grew up in a little town someplace in Texas, and his dad had something to do with the oil, uh, oil business down there. And uh, recently, or sometime um, not long ago, Rick had contact with a guy that he, Rick, had gone to college with, I think, and the guy says, you know, Rick, I'm, I lived in that town when your dad, where your dad lived and uh, where your dad lived all his life. And he says, everybody in that small community knew your dad. 
and everybody knew that your dad was a man of integrity. That's the word he used. Webb, when he heard that, Webb's 100 years old, and he says, you know what? He says, that word integrity, that's the word that I would use to describe my dad. And I silently opened my Bible to Proverbs 20, verse 7, and in the margin of my Bible there, I, long time ago, printed the word dad, because my dad is described in this way, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. So here we are, three old guys, and we're remembering our dads, and we're saying, he was a man of integrity. Now, fathers, one day your kids, believe it or not, are going to be 80, 90, maybe 100 years old. What will they say when they are that old, when they talk about you? You'll be long gone. Integrity of first-class virtue. He works righteousness. This is what a person does. Having been made righteous in Christ, we are to walk righteously. That passage that, uh, that Tori read for us this morning from um, Colossians chapter 3, I just want to return to it for a moment. And it starts in this way. You know, it talks about working uh, righteousness, what a person does. You know, it starts out, it says, since you then, or if you then, are risen with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at, the right, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And in verse 8, it talks about what you should put off. And in verse 12, it talks about what you should put on. Put off these negative characteristics. Put, put on these uh, positive characteristics and and it leads to verse 17 says whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him what a person does he works righteousness what he says he speaks truth in his heart have you thought about how essential speech is in revealing who we really are and what really we value. Speech is so important. Jesus said in Matthew 12, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I did a study many years ago when I was in seminary, did an analysis of the book of Proverbs, and we put everything, every verse in Proverbs was put into a certain category, and and I discovered there that out of the book of Proverbs, out of uh, 915 verses, over 90 of them, more than 10%, speak of the tongue. So you want some instruction on how to walk as a companion with God? Go to the book of Proverbs. And again, again, and again, you'll see the importance of the things that come out of our mouths. This emphasis on walking and working and talking takes us to some specific guidance for those desiring daily companionship with God. Verses 3 to the first part of verse 5 give us eight specific statements, and they seem to me random statements, but they reveal the core values that are to be in place in the life of one is to be, who is to be a companion of God. 
Look at them with me. And uh, I'm going to suggest a, a core value that comes out of each of these statements. First, he does not slander with his tongue. Refuse to slander. That should be a core value. How easy it is for us to believe the worst of people that maybe we have a little bit of a disagreement with. You know, I, uh, Marianna and I went to, to a little league ball game a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the 11, 11 and 12 year olds, and she has a grandson, 11 years old, and so we went to watch this game. The other team came out, and uh, there's these 11 and 12 year olds, and then there's this one big guy. He stood uh, at least 6'1". He was taller than the coach. These are 11 and 12 year olds. This kid looked like he's 180, 190 pounds. And he was a southpaw, he was the pitcher. And man, could he throw the ball. And these little guys on our team were striking out left and right. Not only, you know, they say pitchers can't hit. Well, that's not true. This kid hit two home runs and a, hit and a double. And, after, and, and they decimated our team. After the game, Alexander came to me and he said, you know, that guy, he's 14 years old. And I said, he is? Oh, well, they always do something about that, and right away I'm ready to... And then I got talking to the coach later. They had checked the kid's, you know, birth I was going to say driver's license, uh, his birth certificate, <laughs> and uh, he's 12 years old. He's just one of those big 12-year-old kids. But the thing is, I was so ready... Here an 11-year-old comes in. He's 14 years old. He is, huh? Well, he should do something. And I was so ready to believe that. Well, that's kind of a simple little thing. But how often do we experience that when we're ready to believe the worst? You know, gossip is a very near neighbor to slander. Watch your tongue. Uh, nor does evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach, yeah, yeah, nor does evil to his neighbor. Um, in Luke 10, Jesus was asked the question about who is my neighbor, and he gave that well-known uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And remember the, the guy is beaten and, and robbed, and he's laying there all injured, and somebody comes along that you would expect to show him some, some uh, compassion. He's a priest, and he comes, and he sees the man, and he walks by on the other side. Somebody else comes along that you would expect to have some concern for this man. He's a Levite. He's a student of the word of God, of the law of God. And he sees the man, walks by. Along comes the one that you would not expect. He's a Samaritan. He's a half-breed. He's, he's not a friend of the Jews. But he is the one who ministers to this person. He is the one who takes the place of a, of a neighbor. And I think, you know, maybe we should be the ones who unexpectedly show compassion to our neighbors. I'm not talking about just the person next door, nor was Jesus, but the people around us. We are to be a good neighbor. That should be a core value. Nor does he take up a reproach against a friend. Never betray a friend. Or one NIV says, cast no slur. You know, I, I heard about uh, Mary Branson was her name. And uh, she and her husband had saved up for a new car for a long time, and finally they had the new car. And just a few days after getting the car, lo and behold, on a routine trip to the supermarket, the brand new car was sideswiped by another, and Mary was the driver. And she, 
fearful of what her res the response was going to be of her best her, her husband, her best friend. Yeah, she was she was fumbling in the in the um, glove box for the insurance papers, and there was a little note attached to the insurance papers, and the little note said this. It was in her husband's handwriting. Dear Mary, when you need these papers, remember it's you I love, not the car. Oh, boy, chalk one up for Mr. Branson. I wish I had been that smart. So he addresses his best friend, and he is not going to take up a reproach against her, no slur, and he indicates in the critical moment his love for her. Never betray a friend. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, hate evil. Are we supposed to hate? Did you notice last week, Psalm 139 was read in our service, and in Psalm 139 it says this. The psalmist writes, and he says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. God hates evil. Not the evil people, but the, the evil. And so we are to hate evil. You know, the Mosaic Law made provision for capital punishment on numerous, uh, in numerous situations. And that's a reflection of God's hatred of evil. There's a passage in Jeremiah. I know I'm jumping to quite a few passages, but I, I want to show that these principles, these uh, core values are supported throughout the scriptures. Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah 5, verse 30. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it. But what will you do at the end of it? And it goes on, he picks it up again in uh, chapter 6, and he says, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain, and from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely, and they have healed the wound of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. What an indictment of these people who were supposed to be the people of God, who were supposed to be the companions of the Lord. Hate evil. But love good. Those two are counterparts of one another. Who honors, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. The core value is to love good. And in that same passage in Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah goes on to say, Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you shall find rest, rest to your souls. Good promise for those who will love good. The next statement, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. NIV says he keeps his oath even when it hurts. It takes me, in my mind, it takes me to Philippians chapter 2. And I, I read these few verses from the Apostle Paul. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, 
but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And the passage goes on to exalt Jesus Christ as the one who is the epitome of selflessness. So, keep your word. Swear to your own hurt, even, even when, when it's going to hurt. Jesus kept his promise to go to Calvary, and though he agonized as a human over that, he was obedient. And look at the benefits that came to us. The next one is this, he does not put his money out at interest. And to understand this, it's good for us to see what the, what the Mosaic Law had to say about this. And in, in Deuteronomy 23, we have um, these words. This is the instruction to the Jewish people. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen. Insist on money, interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen you shall not charge interest so that the Lord your God may be bless you in all that you undertake. So here the psalmist is saying, and I think it's talking about being obedient to this passage where the, where the Israelite was not to charge interest to his other uh, fellow Israelites. Uh, the core value, don't be greedy. Don't let greed press you towards some kind of illegitimate gain. Finally, it says, nor does he take up a bribe, uh, take a bribe against the innocent. And again, I go to Deuteronomy and I see in chapter 16, it says this, you shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial and you shall not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Protect the innocent. And there are situations. And each one of these could cause, we could get into great detail in all of these, but these are core values. Protecting the innocent. Refuse to slander, be a good neighbor, never betray a friend, hate evil, love good, keep your word, don't be greedy, protect the innocent. These are core values. And if we want to be God's daily companion, we should check our core values. This is a sample. This is not an exhaustive list. This is, a, I see it as a random sample of the way that those who would wish to walk with God as his daily companion would, would want. See, these are the rocks in your jar the core values, the things that are really important. Never, the, the, the result of all of this, at the, the last line of the, of the passage says, he who does these things will never be shaken. One more New Testament passage at the very end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which certainly is loaded with core values, he says this, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. Never, those who do these things will never be shaken. I want to close with a little story. 
I think it's an appropriate story because it talks about a, a boy and his dad, and it's called The House That Jack Built. Now, the little boy, whose name was Jack, had eyes of admiration for his father, skillful work in with great concentration, worked and toiled, built fine houses, got congratulation from the people moving in them. Twas good occupation. Jack, the youth, spent all his spare time fanning his ambition, sighting, cutting, squaring, fitting, pounding. His condition was acute. He was obsessed. He worked without remission to make his goal reality. All else was in submission. Jack grew older toddled off for his education, but his heart was always beating in anticipation of that great day, school behind him, his great declaration to be like dad, an expert builder. This, his expectation. Then one fine day, Jack rejoiced to go through graduation, school behind him, all his powers of mighty concentration were expended that he might have father's admiration, building fine houses, continuing on in worthy occupation. Working daily, Jack continued proving his contention. He was able to do all things one could ever mention. Dad observed this, pride within him swelled to great dimension. He thought of a great plan. He called for Jack's attention. Jack, you're able to do all things. You have my admiration. There's the lot and here's the blueprint Without my observation, build this house. You're the boss. Make each consideration. I won't be there. It's your task now. Make no hesitation. Jack was pleased. He went to work, assessed the situation, pondered, surveyed, measured, sighted, made the excavation. Suddenly, while thinking dollars, shrewd in preparation, Jack considered how to save by careful calculation. Who would know it, went his plan, if by my determination plans were altered, corners cut, unseen limitation, a bit less concrete, low-grade lumber, cut down on insulation. I will do it. None will know. It will be my remuneration. And so the project was undercut by tiny deviation. Only Jack was privy to each little aberration. The home looked great. At last it came. That day of consummation, tomorrow, Dad would come to give his look of acceptation. Jack's dad arrived. He cast an eye with critics' observation. All things looked good. Each fault was hid by sly consideration. The doors were true, the walls were straight, no cracks in the foundation. Dad fairly beamed. You've done right well. This is my estimation. Now, Jack, my boy, I've news for you to crown this celebration. Your mom and I know you will soon have need of habitation for your bride and then a family. That's the expectation. This house Jack built, it now is yours. Move in with great elation. The years have gone. Jack's house still stands, but its deterioration gives witness to the lasting truth of Bible's declaration. God is not mocked, make no mistake. This truth knows no exception in house or life. We reap 
what's sown. We live with our deception. Let's make it a priority to live in daily companionship with God. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that your word is so plain. It's so plain as to how we might be right with you. It's so plain as to how we should walk in companionship with you. And you're so good, you've provided for those of us who have come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to live within us and to energize our lives in order that we might seek those things that are above and that we might put off the bad and put on the good. And the Holy Spirit is there to enable us to live lives in which we can enjoy daily companionship with you. And I pray that this 15th Psalm will help each of us to see that occur in our lives. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Take my heart and fold it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. Righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness, righteousness is what you want from me. So take my heart. Transform it. 
You know, sermons are preached with the hope that it might do something in the hearts and minds of the hearers. And sometimes it's to bring one under conviction and recognize needs in your life. We, we provide at the close of every service an elder and his wife to stand here and be ready to pray with you if there's something, some need, perhaps something aroused by the sermon, perhaps some need in your life, whatever it is, and we are there, and today it's John and Sandy that will be available to you to pray with you over whatever needs you might want to um, express. So I just want to remind you that that's a week-by-week provision that we make. Uh, Hear these words as you go. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, he who does these things will never be shaken. Amen. You're dismissed, and happy Father's Day, and enjoy a a root beer float. Take my heart.